As you're seated, I want to encourage you to turn to Romans chapter 12 in your Bibles this morning. Our kids stay with us today. This is the fourth Sunday of the month, which means we will not have our kids' crew worship this morning. Instead, they'll remain with us. We've provided what we call a children's worship bulletin that they can, uh, it's got some activities, but it also engages with our text in Romans so that they can study the Bible and, and follow along. I'm excited for them to be with us this morning as we study together Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now these, these verses, these verses, Romans 12, 1 and 2, are, are, are well-tread. I mean, this is, this is a text that I have preached before, no doubt. I, I trust you've heard others preach from Romans chapter 12 before. This is one of the most known, one of the most memorable, and, and I'll even dare say one of the most iconic passages in the New Testament because it gives us such great truth that we should, that we should offer our lives to the Lord as a living sacrifice, is what Romans chapter 12 tells us to do. And so that's exactly what we want to understand how we're to do that this morning, that we would offer our lives to the Lord as living sacrifices. And so uh, we'll, we'll dig into that as we walk through this text together today. Some years ago, I was on a mission trip in Malawi, Africa. This was in the summer of 1999. So this is rewinding the clock just a bit. I was a student in college at the time and went on a trip with Baptist Collegiate Ministries. They do these summer mission trips. And I went on a trip with a group of students from universities around the state of Oklahoma to Malawi, Africa. And I will never forget the experience of worshiping with the, the, the Christians, the believers, followers of Jesus in Malawi, hearing them sing songs that I knew the tune but didn't know the language. They were singing, of course, in, in their own language, in their heart language, and singing to the Lord with a lot of joy, a lot of vibrant excitement. And seeing that did something in my own heart I, that I'll, I'll just never forget. It was one of those moments when for me, it felt like worship was coming alive in my heart and my life. And I remember distinctly having this thought that this must have been what it was like for those in the early church who, who gathered together and they may not all speak the same language, but they came to celebrate what God had done and just to rejoice together in God's goodness. And I felt like in some way I was living with the kind of spiritual life, the kind of vibrancy that the, the New Testament church must have known. It was at that same time that I was reading a book by a pastor and author named John Piper, and the, and the name of the book was Desiring God. And so in that book, what I was reading from, from, uh, from Piper was about how the Lord wanted me to delight in him, that if I, would, if I would put Jesus first in my heart and my life, and if I would delight in him, that he would fill my heart with passion, he would, he would direct the steps of my life, and he would lead me to know this abundant joy that comes through faith in Christ. And so all these lessons were coming to, it was a really key, pivotal moment in my life. And Every time I come to this passage in the scripture, in Romans chapter 12, I'm taken 
back to that moment in time. Many of us this week gathered together for Thanksgiving with family. And, and I imagine that if you gathered with family for Thanksgiving dinner this week or a Thanksgiving meal, that there were probably some recipes that were used that were tried and true classic family recipes, right? Just like grandma used to make, that sort of thing. We had this at, at our family gatherings. There were these tried and true classic recipes. And every time I taste the food, when it's prepared in such a way, it takes me back to my childhood. It takes me back to grandma's table and Thanksgiving time as a boy and those things. Well, Studying this passage has a similar effect for me. When I study this passage of text, it takes me back to that moment in time. And I remember afresh how God was working and speaking. My desire is that God may speak to you today in a similar way. And so even if you've heard Romans chapter 12 before, you've heard me preach. If you've been here when I've preached through Romans 12 before, you've heard someone else preach through Romans 12. My desire, even my prayer as I've prayed for this moment, is that God would speak a fresh word to us. And then he would use this in a way to direct our obedience as we seek to live lives of worship for him. So let's read together Romans 12, 1 and 2, and then let's dig in, let's dive in to understand what we are to learn from these verses. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So we learn from Romans 12, as Paul is writing here, that if we would present our bodies, which is to say our lives, the reason that he writes here of presenting your body is he's, he's basically saying this, give everything that you have to the Lord. That's the point of presenting your body as a living sacrifice. It's his own way of saying, give everything that you have to the Lord. Be fully submitted to him, fully surrendered to him. Offer him everything that you have. This is what real worship is, is when you say, Lord, I give you all of me, all that I have. And he goes on to say that when we do that, this is how we worship the Lord. And that we should not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I'll just tell you, that's where the real meat is that I think we're gonna, we're gonna draw from this text today. Not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind in order that we may be pleasing to God as we discern his will for our lives. And so this morning, as we, as we consider this, as we dig in and, and, and really kind of break this text down to say, okay, what, what does this look like for us? There are three key things that I want us to draw out of this this morning. The first one is this, is that when you offer yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice, again, that's just taking the language of the text, which is to say, give God everything you have. When you offer yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice, you demonstrate consecrated service, consecrated service, consecrated. When I use that word, the reason that I use that word is consecrated is something that is set apart. Again, I'm going back to Thanksgiving because that's fresh in our minds. When you gathered together with your family this week, some of you probably just used 
disposable uh, silverware, that disposable plates, that sort of thing, right? Because it's just easy. We did as a part of our family gatherings. But some of you, perhaps, when you gathered together for Thanksgiving, maybe you got out the fancy stuff, right? Maybe the, 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 the fine china or, or, or the fancy silverware, the stuff that you, that you only use for a certain occasion or a certain purpose. In fact, I remember growing up that we had in our home, we had a china cabinet which sat in our dining room. It was a cabinet full of dishes that we never used. It was like on display, right? Here are all the dishes that we'll never use except for uh, once or twice uh, in, on, on a rare occasion. But those dishes, that finer dining ware was set aside for a special purpose. And we only got that out when something special was happening, a special occasion. That is exactly what this word consecrated means. It's something that is set apart for a special purpose. Now, as it relates to our lives and offering the Lord everything that we have, what we mean when we say that we are to offer him our consecrated service is that we want to say, Lord, my heart, my life, my everything is set apart for you, for your special purpose in my life that I want to serve you. I want to do as you would have me do. I want to follow you in obedience, God, so that my life might be consecrated. In the New Testament, the very word that is used that we translate into English as holy actually comes from this same root understanding, this same word meaning to be set apart, something that is to be set apart or consecrated or, or reserved. for. So to be holy Anything that is holy is something that is set apart. And so by saying that this is our spiritual worship, to be consecrated, to be set apart, to offer the Lord, we're just saying, Lord, I set my heart, my life aside to be used by you, to serve you, to do your will. In the text, it says, this is your spiritual worship. Spiritual worship. Uh, There are some English translations that actually would translate this phrase. Rather than calling it your, your spiritual worship, they would call it your reasonable service or your reasonable worship. And again, that's just drawing from the original language. Paul originally wrote this letter to the Roman church in the language of Greek. And so in the Greek language, that word reasonable or spiritual as it's translated here in the ESV is the word logikos, logikos. And, and you may, even as I say that word out loud, you may hear the word logic in it because it's actually where we get our word, our English word logic or reasoning. So to say that this is our spiritual worship, our logikos, means that it is something that we have done intentionally. So when you think of something that's logical, right? Something that you've thought about, something that seems to make sense, something that you've reasoned through. So to say that this is our spiritual worship, our reasonable service, means that we have reasoned, we have thought it through, and we have determined that I want to give the Lord. It means it's not just just derived from an emotional response, though to serve the Lord does, does involve our emotions, but specifically, Paul is saying that we are to make a conscious, willful choice, a reasoned choice to give God everything. It's our spiritual worship is when we determine to set our lives apart. The word worship is in the Greek, the word latria, 
which is one of the words that's used, it's one of the less common words that's used in the, uh, in the New Testament for worship, but that word latria, again, just bears with it the idea of service or worship. So our reasoned service, our logical, thought-out, determined purpose is to say, God, I want to give you everything. Everything in my heart, everything in my life, every part of me. That's what it means to offer your bodies. It's not as though you're to physically do something, right? That's not the point. The point is that we are to rationally give God everything. And in doing that, we worship him. Think about what that might mean for you to put God first in everything. Now, for many of us, when we think about putting God first, we think, okay, we think of some things I need to do. And we start making these mental checklists like, okay, I need to, I need to read the Bible more. I need to be more faithful to church. Maybe I should pray. Ah, I probably should tithe. I probably should give. Maybe, maybe God wants me to teach Sunday school. Maybe, maybe the Lord is calling on me to watch the little ones in the nursery on the rotation, right? Or, or maybe this is a really big one. Okay, Lord, I'll go to Falls Creek as a sponsor, right? I mean, I'll do it. Maybe, maybe the Lord is, yes. And it, and, it, and it can be any or all of those things. But the point isn't that we would automatically turn to sort of a to-do list, a spiritual to-do list. Rather, it's, it's more of a, 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 a done list. Not a to-do list, but a done list. And this is what I mean by that. Is that in light of everything that the Lord has done for me, in light of the fact that Jesus lived a sinless, perfect life, and he offered himself as the sacrifice, as the payment for my sin on the cross, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, in light of the fact that Jesus has done everything, my response is to give God everything. And when we begin to think and operate in that way, now we know what it means to give the Lord our lives as our consecrated service. So we're to give our lives to him as living sacrifices. This is our consecrated service. The second thing I see in this text is that when you offer yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice, you demonstrate conscious submission. Conscious submission. Again, this is the act of the will. This isn't just about our actions it isn't just about our behaviors. It isn't just about the things that we do, but rather it's a posture of the heart, which is really where worship comes into play in this entire idea. Because ultimately, if you really distill worship down to what worship really means, worship more than an activity is about an attitude. Because worship is about a posture of the heart. Worship says, I will be low so that this thing that I worship may be lifted high. In fact, the word worship comes from an old English phrase, worth-ship. It means to give worth, to ascribe worth to something, to ascribe value. And so when we worship something, we effectively say this thing, this object of my worship has worth has value, has weight even. Now, when I describe it that way, that could be a lot of things. It doesn't just mean singing songs. We think of worship. In fact, 
practically speaking, functionally speaking, the way that we use the word worship a lot of times is about singing. And so we come to worship and we think to ourselves, well, I come in the, and, and I gather and we sing together. And singing is an important expression of our worship. And it's in fact, maybe my favorite expression of our worship when we gather together and we sing. But singing in and of itself is not is not the same. It's not synonymous with worship. Singing is a way that we worship, but certainly worship is more than just singing. And that's really the point of what Paul is saying here. He's not just talking about giving the Lord our words on Sunday mornings, but rather that we would give him our hearts every day, always. And that's what real worship is. When we ascribe worth, when we give value to the Lord, when we submit ourselves to him consciously, willfully. And so he talks here about discerning what is the will of God. By the renewal of your mind and and the testing, you may discern what is the will of God. What Paul means for us to understand is that when when we worship the Lord, when we put him first in everything, when we consciously submit ourselves to him, we say, Lord, I want to bow low that you may be lifted high. Again, it's that posture of the heart, that attitude of the heart. And when we do that, what we're effectively saying is, Lord, I want you to lead me in all things. By lifting the Lord up, aren't we really saying, you're greater than I am. Your ways are higher than I am. Your knowledge transcends my knowledge. Your understanding goes beyond your way, your will, your purpose, your things, Lord, are greater than mine. And so consciously, as an act of the will, we say, Lord, you are greater and I am lesser. I think this is, in a a sense, this is exactly the, the attitude that John the Baptist expresses in John chapter 3. So some people come to John the Baptist and they're asking John the Baptist about Jesus and about how Jesus is teaching these things and and Jesus is teaching this baptism and repentance and, and all these things are happening. And so they ask John, John, what are we to say? Is this the one? And John's response in John chapter 3 verse 30 is he says, he must increase and I must decrease. It's the idea of, I want God to be much so that I would be little. This is the, this is the, the conscious submission that we demonstrate when we put God first in everything and when we put God first with everything. And so he speaks here of not being conformed to this world, but transformed, we'll talk in a minute about being transformed, but when he talks about being conformed to the world, the idea is that we consciously choose not to live like everyone else in the world. When we consciously choose to be different, when we consciously choose to follow the scripture, even when the world says, oh no, it doesn't really mean that. Yeah, I know the Bible says that, but that's not really what it means. We hear a lot of that today, don't we? Oh yeah, the Bible, says, the Bible says this and the Bible teaches that, but it's not really what it means. Well, the Bible means what it says, right? I mean, the plain reading of the text is, is the way that we're to understand and, and know and do what the word of God says. And so when we consciously submit ourselves to his truth, to his word, when we say, Lord, I want to live the way that you've called me to live, I want to obey what your word says, we consciously submit ourselves to him. We're not living like the world. We're not being conformed to the world, but rather we're being different. 
we're swimming upstream, if you will, going against the flow. These are all ways that we might describe this idea of living for Christ and his kingdom, putting him first in everything. And when we do, when we consciously submit ourselves, when we, when we consecrate ourselves for his service, then we will grow, then we will be transformed, which is the third thing that I see in this text. When you offer yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice, you will experience consistent sanctification. Now, the word sanctification, it fits, right? Because I've used the C and the S for all of my, my uh, words. So yeah, it fits. But that word, it probably needs a little bit of explanation. It's not a word that we use, that we use real often. But the word sanctification comes from the Latin, actually, and it means holy, at least in its, in its root. So I talked earlier about, uh, about our consecrated service, and I talked about the idea of something that was set apart. In the Latin, the word for holy in Latin is the word sanctus, and that word sanctus, holy, is something that is set apart. And so you can see kind of the root of the Latin word sanctus in our word sanctification. It's holiness. It's growth. It's that, it's that process of becoming more and more like Jesus. So as we offer our lives to him for his consecrated service, we say, Lord, I'm setting myself apart for you. I'm consciously submitting my life to you. Then we ought to expect that what happens in us is consistent growth, consistent sanctification as we become more and more like Jesus, more and more holy. This is the transformation that Romans 12, 2 talks about. But notice that he talks about it in a specific way. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And then this phrase, this is so important. Be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind. So how are we to be transformed? We're to be transformed by renewing our minds, by the renewal of our minds, which is to say that we are to be made new. That's what we can think of to be renewed or made new again and again and again, right? Renewed, not just outwardly in what we do, but inwardly from what we think. The renewal of our minds to to consistently reset our heart and our minds so that we would live like Jesus. It's a renewed mind that we seek. There are some important things that, that I want us to understand about what it means to have a renewed mind as we seek to live out this way of Jesus so that we might consistently grow to be more and more like him. First of all, I think it's important that we understand that a renewed mind is a work of the Holy Spirit. Let's just be clear. You will never be able to achieve what Paul writes about in this text in Romans chapter 12 apart from the work of his Holy Spirit in your heart. It requires, it requires genuine saving faith a saving knowledge of Christ, that we have submitted our lives to him, we have made him Lord and Savior, that we've received his Holy Spirit, and now we live in a way that is led by the Spirit of God. If you've been reading along with us, 
If you've been doing the daily readings, and that's where we've been working through the text day by day, then you read in Romans chapter 8. And all I'm doing here is pointing to what Paul has already written in this same letter to the Romans. In Romans chapter 8, he writes about giving our lives to Christ and putting his Holy Spirit first and living not in our own flesh, not in our own strength, but walking by faith in the Spirit of God so that we can please God as we live according to the direction of his Holy Spirit. This is what it means. In Titus chapter 3, Paul writes a similar thing. And he says that he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his Spirit. That he saved us according to the work of his Holy Spirit. And he goes on to say, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the, is, is the agent that helps to renew us so that we can become more and more like Jesus. That we would grow in our faith, grow in our understanding, grow in our obedience. How? It's through the, the renewed mind. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. Not only that, uh, a renewed mind is a work of the Holy Spirit. A, a renewed mind produces noticeable changes in us. So it starts with the Holy Spirit working in our heart, and then it begins to do things. It begins to change things. It begins to alter our desires. This is the transformation that Paul is writing about here. When the Holy Spirit is working in us, when our mind is renewed, we are transformed. There ought to be change. Now, you're not perfect, okay? Let me just alleviate that burden. This isn't about being perfect. This isn't about never making a mistake, never doing anything wrong. But this does mean, so let's not, let's not, let's not read into it what it doesn't mean, right? That's what I meant to say. It, it doesn't mean that you ought to be perfect. But what it does mean is that there ought to be some fruit, There ought to be some proof. There ought to be something in your life that is evidence of the fact that God's Holy Spirit resides in you and he's working in you. There ought to be a transformation that's taking place if, in fact, you have trusted Jesus and you have received his Holy Spirit as you grow in your faith. Now, sin can can hinder that. Sin can, can disrupt the fellowship that we have with the Lord. Sin can even cause us to to grieve the Holy Spirit's the way that the, the, the Bible speaks of that. But sin cannot separate us from Christ. And again, I'll point you back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. Nothing can separate us from Christ because of, He has saved us. He has transformed us. He is working inside of us, producing noticeable Change. One Bible commentator uh, who I really appreciate, his name is Douglas Moo. Uh, in his commentary on, on this text, he refers to this as a reprogramming of the mind. And I really like that language. Reprogramming of the mind. This transformation that takes place is a reprogramming, a rewiring, if you will, of our minds as we seek to live in light of Christ's saving work. And we allow him to transform us from the inside out. So this renewed mind, it's a product of the Holy Spirit. It produces noticeable change. And finally, I would say that a renewed mind will alter your priorities. It ought to change your priorities. So that slowly, bit by bit, 
new program by new program, if you will, we begin to live more and more like Jesus. We begin to look more and more like Jesus. And in fact, if you keep reading in Romans, Paul's going to go on to describe this process playing itself out in the book or in the in, in this chapter. So as you as you keep reading in Romans chapter 12, what you see is that we're to serve the Lord. These in verses three through eight. We're to serve the Lord. And he describes what that looks like. That we would do it not thinking too much of ourselves, not thinking more of ourselves than we should, but rather putting Christ first and serving one another as a part of his body. So he says that we should serve. And then he says we should be steadfast in verses 9 through 13, that we should be steadfast, that we should rejoice in the midst of suffering, hardship, difficulty that we face because we're being renewed, transformed by the work of Christ. And then even further in verses 14 through 21, he describes suffering well. So we're to serve, we're to be steadfast, we're to suffer well even if necessary for the for the cause of Christ. And all of this comes as God's Holy Spirit is working inside of us to transform us, to give us a renewed mind. So here's the question. It's kind of the, the chicken or the egg debate, right? Which comes first, the transformation or the renewed mind? Are we transformed or are our minds renewed and then the transformation comes? And the answer to that would just simply be yes, right? It's a process that happens. We receive by faith the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit goes to work inside of us, producing a change that we would be powerless to do on our own. But through discipline, through consecrating ourselves to the Lord for his service, through consciously submitting ourselves to him, through not conforming to the way of the world, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds, choosing to focus our hearts and our minds on the things of Jesus, we begin to, to be more and more transformed into the image of Christ, more and more like Jesus, more and more sanctified, to use my own word, as we become more and more like him. And so the, the point of all of this is that if you will put Jesus first in everything by saying, Lord, I give you me, my life. Everything that I have, Lord, is yours. I want to be set apart for you, trusting that if I would bow myself to your will, if I will humble myself before you and lift you up, that you will bring about change and transformation in me that I'm powerless to do on my own. That's where real growth begins to take place. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This morning, are you, are you ready to be transformed by the work of Jesus? Maybe you're here today and there's never been a moment when you have consciously surrendered your life to him. There's never been a moment where you have consciously submitted yourself to faith in Christ. You've never said, Jesus, I want to turn to you in faith. I want to offer my life to you. I want to confess you as Lord and Savior of my life. That's never taken place. Then this morning, we want to offer you the opportunity to submit your life to Jesus and surrender, to call on him as Lord and Savior, much like we saw Christian do this morning through his baptism, that you would say, Lord Jesus, 
I trust you for the forgiveness of my sin, and I confess you as the Lord, the Savior of my life. And if you're ready to take that step of obedience today, then even as we sing this song of invitation in a few minutes, we would invite you to come. In fact, Brad and I will be standing here at the front, and we would love nothing more than to counsel with you and and walk you through a prayer of surrender that you would trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sin and confess him as the Lord, the Savior of your life. If you desire to do that today, then even when we sing, we encourage you to come. I know that there are many in the room who've taken that step. And God is speaking to you today, and he's not calling you to trust Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, but he is calling you to trust Jesus enough to put him first in everything, to offer your life as a living sacrifice, which is to say, Jesus, here it is, all of it, all of me, all my heart, all my desires, all my hopes, all my dreams, everything, Lord, is yours. And if you would be willing today to put him first, to trust him with everything, then we want to encourage you that you would respond. And so how do you do that? How do you respond? Well, I suppose the real answer to that is just as unique as your own story and your own situation. Maybe, maybe there's something specific that God is speaking to you about today, and he's, he's calling on you to, to act in a, in a very particular way of obedience. Maybe it's something that the Lord is speaking to you, and even now, you're thinking of something that you need to give up, a habit, a, a thing, a, a pattern of behavior, something in your life that's got to change. Remember, on your own, you're powerless to do this. On your own, you're powerless to be transformed, but through the power of the Holy Spirit, through having a renewed mind, you can be transformed in Jesus. Maybe today you just need to say, take a step of obedience, take a step toward him, say, Lord, I want to put you first, and I want to trust you with this. I want to trust you with my obedience. I want to trust you by putting you first. If that's you, then we would encourage you that you would act in some way today that, again, that that, that confirms or, 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 or just moves you. You can come and kneel here at this altar in, in prayer during this time of response. You can come and visit with us. Let us pray with you and pray over you, encourage you. Maybe you turn to someone who's seated nearby you and you just say, hey, would you, just, would you pray with me? I, I need to respond. Whatever it is, if the Lord is directing you today, I would encourage you that you would respond in faith by saying, God, I will, I will obey I will do as you're calling me to do in order that you might experience his work, his transforming work in your life as you put him first in all things. Before we turn to our time of response, I want to lead us in a word of prayer. And even as we pray, my prayer is is going to be, Lord, would you be first in our hearts? I'm praying that collectively over us. God, may you be first in our hearts as we respond in obedience to your word today. Would you join me as we pray? So Lord, it is the desire of our hearts that you would be first in all things today. And it's because of this desire to put you first that we say even now in this moment, Jesus, would you, would you move in us, stir within us, move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, speak to your people, speak to your children and direct our obedience Would you be drawing those who have never trusted you toward faith in Christ this morning, that they may respond in obedience? And as we seek to honor and obey you in all things, we ask that you would move in our midst in a way, frankly, that we wouldn't be the same as we trust you and obey you. 
All this we pray in your name. Amen. So let's stand together this morning and as we sing this song about our living hope, which is Jesus Christ, if God is speaking to you, if he's moving in your heart in some way, then even as we sing, we invite you to come. You ready to trust Jesus? Would you step out into the aisle, make your way forward? If you're ready to respond in some way, the altar is open, our staff are here at the front, would you respond in obedience as we sing this morning?